0: chapter 11 section 1 of children of the ghetto by israel zangwill this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by adrian pretzelselis chapter 11 section 1 esther and her children esther ansel did not welcome levi jacob's warmly She had just cleared away the breakfast things, and was looking forward to a glorious day's reading, and the advent of a visitor did not gratify her. And yet Levi Jacobs was a good-looking boy, with brown hair and eyes, a dark glowing complexion and ruddy lips—a sort of reduced masculine edition of Hannah. "'I've come to play I spy, Solomon,' he said when he entered. don't you live up high i thought you had to go to school solomon observed with a stare ours isn't a board school levi explained you might introduce a fellow to your sister go on you know esther right enough said solomon and began to whistle carelessly uh, how, how are you esther said levi awkwardly i'm very well thank you said esther looking up from a little brown covered book and looking down at it again she was crouching on the fender trying to get some warmth at the little fire extracted from reb shmuel's half-crown december continued gray the room was dim and a spurt of flame played on her pale earnest face it was a face that never lost a certain ardency of color even at its palest. The hair was dark and abundant, the eyes were large and thoughtful, the nose slightly aquiline, and the whole cast of the features betrayed the Polish origin. The forehead was rather low. Esther had nice teeth which, accident, had preserved white. It was an arrestive rather than a beautiful face although charming enough when she smiled. If the grace and candor of childhood could have been disengaged from the face it would have been easier to say that it was absolutely pretty. It came nearer to being so on sabbaths and holidays when scholastic supervision was removed and the hair was free to fall loosely about the shoulders instead of being screwed up into the pendulous plait so dear to the educational eye. Esther could have earned a penny quite easily by sacrificing her tresses and going about with close-cropped head like a boy, for her teacher never failed thus to reward the shorn. But in the darkest hours of hunger she held on to her hair as her mother had done before her. The prospects of Esther's post-nuptial wig were not brilliant. She was not tall for a girl who was going on for twelve, but some little girls shoot up suddenly, and there was considerable room for hope. Sarah and Isaac were romping noisily about and under the beds. Rachel was at the table, knitting a scarf for Solomon. The grandmother pored over a bulky Enchiridion for pious women, written in jargon. Moses was out in search of work no one took any notice of the visitor what's that you're reading he asked esther politely oh nothing said esther with a start closing the book as if fearful he might want to look over her shoulder i don't see the fun of reading books out of school said levi oh but we don't read school books said solomon defensively i don't care it's stupid At that rate you could never read books when you are grown up," said Esther contemptuously. No, of course not," admitted Levi. Otherwise, what would be the fun of being grown up? After I leave school I don't intend to open a book." No, perhaps you'll open a shop," said Solomon. What will you do when it rains?" asked Esther crushingly. I shall smoke replied levi loftily yes but suppose it's shabbos swiftly rejoined esther levi was nonplussed well it can't rain all day and there are only fifty-two shabbosim in the year he said lamely a man can always do something i think there's more pleasure in reading than in doing something remarked esther yes you're a girl Levi reminded her, and girls are expected to stay indoors. Look at my sister Hannah. She reads too. But a man can be out doing what he pleases, eh, Solomon? Yes, of course, we've got the best of it, said Solomon. The siddur shows that. Don't I say every morning? Baruchatoashem elokenum, Shalosani Sha? Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, who has not made me a woman. I don't know whether you do say it. You certainly have got to, said Esther witheringly. Shh, said Solomon, winking in the direction of the grandmother. It doesn't matter, said Esther calmly. She can't understand what I'm saying, anyway. I don't know, said Solomon dubiously. She sometimes catches more than you bargain for. And then you catch more than you bargain for, said Rachel. Looking up roguishly from her knitting. Solomon stuck his tongue in his cheek and grimaced. Isaac came behind Levi and gave his coat a pull and toddled off with a yell of delight. Be quiet, Ikey, cried Esther. If you don't behave better, I shan't put you in your new bed. Oh, yes, you must, Esty, lisped Ikey, his elfish face growing grave he went about depressed for some seconds kids are a beastly nuisance said levi don't you think so esther oh no not always said the little girl besides we were all kids once that's what i complain of said levi we ought all to be born grown up but that's impossible put in rachel it isn't impossible at all said esther look at adam and eve Levi looked at Esther gratefully instead. He felt nearer to her, and thought of persuading her into playing kiss in the ring, but he found it difficult to back out of his undertaking to play I spy with Solomon, and in the end he had to leave Esther to her book. She had little in common with her brother Solomon, least of all humour and animal spirits even before the responsibilities of headship had come upon her she was a preternaturally thoughtful little girl who had strange intuitions about things and was doomed to work out her own salvation as a metaphysician when she had asked her mother who made god a slap in the face demonstrated to her the limits of human inquiry the natural instinct of the child overrode the long travail of the race to conceive an abstract deity, and Esther pictured God as a mammoth cloud. In early years Esther imagined that the body that was buried when a person died was the corpse decapitated, and she often puzzled herself to think what was done with the isolated head. When her mother was being sewn up in grave clothes, Esther hovered about with a real thirst for knowledge while the thoughts of all the other children were sensuously concentrated on the funeral and the glory of seeing a vehicle drive away from their own door Esther was also disappointed at not seeing her mother's soul fly up to heaven though she watched vigilantly at the deathbed for the ascendant of the long yellow hook-shaped thing The genesis of this conception of the soul was probably to be sought in the pictorial representations of ghosts in the story papers brought home by her elder brother Benjamin. Strange shadowy conceptions of things more corporeal floated up from her solitary reading. Theatres she came across often, and a theatre was a kind of Babel plain, or vanity fair, in which performers and spectators were promiscuously mingled and within the richer folks clad in evening dress sat in thin deal boxes the cases in spitalfields market being esther's main association with boxes one of her daydreams of the future was going to the theatre in a nightgown and being accommodated with an orange box little rectification of such distorted views of life was to be expected from moses ansell who went to his grave without even seeing a circus and had no interest in art apart from the police news and his mizrach and the synagogue decorations even when esther's skeptical instinct drove her to inquire of her father how people knew that moses got the law on mount sinai he could only repeat in horror that the books of Moses said so, and could never be brought to see that his arguments travelled on roundabouts. She sometimes regretted that her brilliant brother Benjamin had been swallowed up by the orphan asylum, for she imagined that she could have discussed many a knotty point with him. Solomon was both flippant and incompetent but in spite of her theoretical latitudinarianism in practice she was pious to the point of fanaticism and could scarce conceive the depths of degradation of which she heard vague horror-struck talk there were jews about grown-up men and women not insane who struck lucifer matches on the sabbath and housewives who carelessly mixed their butter-plates with their meat-plates, even when they did not actually eat butter with meat. Esther promised herself that, please God, she would never do anything so wicked when she grew up. She at least would never fail to light the sabbath candles, nor to casher the meat. Never was child more alive to the beauty of duty, more open to the appeal of virtue, self-control abnegation she fasted until two o'clock on the great white fast when she was seven years old and accomplished the perfect feat at nine when she read a simple little story in a prize-book inculcating the homely moralities at which the cynic sneers her eyes filled with tears and her breast with unselfish and dutiful determinations She had something of the temperament of the Stoic, fortified by that spiritual pride which does not look for equal goodness in others. And though she disapproved of Solomon's dodging of duty, she did not sneak or preach, even gave him surreptitious crusts of bread before he had said his prayers, especially on Saturdays and festivals, when the praying took place in shul and was liable to be prolonged until midday. Esther often went to synagogue and sat in the ladies' compartment. The drone of the bene downstairs was part of her consciousness of home, like the musty smell of the stairs, or Becky's young men through whom she had to plough her way when she went for the morning milk, or the odours of Mr. Belcovitch's rum, or the whir of his machine, or the bent snuffy personality of the Hebrew scholar in the adjoining garret or the dread of Dutch Debbie's dog that was ultimately transformed to friendly expectation. Esther led a double life, just as she spoke two tongues. The knowledge that she was a Jewish child, whose people had a special history, was always at the back of her consciousness. Sometimes it was brought to the front by the scoffing rhymes of Christian children who informed her that they had stuck a piece of pork upon a fork and given it to a member of her race. But far more vividly did she realize that she was an English girl. Far keener than her pride in Jewish Maccabeus was her pride in Nelson and Wellington. She rejoiced to find that her ancestors had always beaten the French from the days of Cressy and Poitiers to the days of Waterloo that Alfred the Great was the wisest of kings, and that Englishmen dominated the world and had planted colonies in every corner of it, that the English language was the noblest in the world, and men speaking it had invented railway trains, steamships, telegraphs, and everything worth inventing. Esther absorbed these ideas from the school reading-books, the experience of a month will overlay the hereditary bequest of a century. And yet, beneath all, the prepared plate remains most sensitive to the old impressions. Sarah and Isaac had developed as distinct individualities as was possible in the time of their disposal. Isaac was just five, and Sarah, who had never known her mother, just four the thoughts of both ran strongly in the direction of sensuous enjoyment and they preferred baked potatoes especially potatoes touched with gravy to all the joys of the kindergarten isaac's ambition ran in the direction of eider-down beds such as he had once felt at Malka's, and moses soothed him by the horizon-like prospect of such a new bed Places of honour had already been conceded by the generous little chap to his father and brother. Heaven alone knows how he came to conceive their common bed as his own peculiar property in which the other three resided at night on sufferance. He could not even plead that it was his by right of birth in it. But Isaac was not after all wholly given over to worldly thoughts, for an intellectual problem often occupied his thoughts and led him to slap little sarah's arms he had been born on the fourth of december while sarah had been born a year later on the third it ain't it can't be he would say your birthday can't be afore mine tis esty that's so sarah would reply esty's a liar tis esty says so sarah would reply esty's a liar isaac responded imperturbably ask Tata. Tata don't know ain't i five yes and ain't you four yes and ain't i older than you course and wasn't i born before you yes i then how come your birthday come afore mine cause it doth stupid it doth ask esty sarah would insist shan't sleep in my new bed ikey would threaten shall if i like shan't here sarah would generally break down in tears and isaac with premature economic instinct feeling it wicked to waste a cry would proceed to justify it by hitting her thereupon little sarah would hit him back and develop a terrible howl oh woe is me she would wail in jargon throwing herself on the ground in a corner and rocking herself to and fro like a far-away ancestress remembering Tzion. the waters of babylon little sarah's lamentations never ceased till she had been avenged by a higher hand there were several great powers but esther was the most reliable instrument of reprisal if esther was out little sarah's sobs ceased speedily for she too felt the folly of fruitless tears though she nursed in her breast the sense of injury she would even resume her amicable romps with Isaac, but the moment the step of the avenger was heard on the stairs little Sarah would betake herself to her corner and howl with the pain of Isaac's pummelings. She had a strong love of abstract justice, and felt that if the wrongdoer were to go unpunished there was no security for the constitution of things. End of chapter 11 Section 1